Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive weekly magazine for hams, home brewers, and experimenters around the fruited plains. This is your host, George N2APB, along with co-host Joe N2CX, as we regularly host this session on an every other week basis, usually, and uh, this week is a very special and exciting topic, as we've uh, previewed in, in the uh, our um, online forum, the, um, the chat with the designer email uh, discussion group. This is, uh, we have a ton of information and really good topics this uh, this session, and we're going to be trying to cover, we'll be scrambling to cover it all. It's just so exciting because, um, I don't know, if you're anything like me, Joe and I were discussing this as uh, as we were driving along at some point, and nothing gets my interest and excitement up when is when something starts working. Conversely, if you're having problems and hitting your head against the wall, you're having your, your computer breaks down, it's not compiling properly, uh, the circuit's not developing the right signals, or whatever, you, you start pulling your hair out, you feel bummed. And but here, once I got over a couple of initial hurdles that we talked about um, on, in the discussion group. Uh, things have been going really, really smoothly for the the PSOC. We're going to be talking about exploring the PSOC, the uh, the Cypress Semiconductors uh, PSOC Programmable System on a Chip tonight. And this is an amazing chip, and it's what they call mixed signal component. And in it, in it, that it has um, an analog components in it, it has digital components in it, and they are all programmable in a way that uh, Joe kind of aptly noted that it's a uh, um, a Lego block kind of uh, construction technique. And as you'll see here, is we're going to go through uh, first uh, an overview of the, uh, the PSOC's capabilities. And, uh, and then we're going to go through kind of a detailed step-by-step uh, -step process that we used in actually constructing the first project, uh, the first light, as they say in astronomy, or Hello World, or Hello PSOC in this case here, when you first get a project going. And you start small. You always start small. Um, and, and incrementally build up the capabilities. And I think that's the what I was relating to here, is, or trying to relate, is that we have incremental successes that are building on each other really nicely. And I know some of you are following along and actually doing this uh, on your own bench, and I really applaud that, and I encourage others who haven't maybe tried it, please indeed do so, because it's, it's, it's incredibly fun. And you've got a good group here that you can refer back to for questions and get uh, a good handle on things. So we're going to uh, overview the, uh, the PSOC capabilities. Then we're going to uh, talk about the first project. Um, I think it's the uh, LED dimmer, the LED dimmer. And that's actually the demonstration program that we referred to in the video, um, that, that's, as was provided in the video by, uh, gosh, I don't know who did it, actually. I'll have to find some credit on that um, and, and attribute that. Um, and then uh, we'll talk briefly about how this is going to lead up, you know, what's the path for this project. As most of you know here, what we'd like to do and chat with the designers is introduce or uh, introduce a new topic, a new component, a new technology, or review something that kind of like we all think we know. And, and then when reviewing the basics and leading up to a culmination of, of you know, actually implementing and using those techniques and skills, uh, we have a project of some sort. And nothing is, as I said, is nothing is more satisfying than seeing some of the basic principles that you know about or that you have just learned and seeing how they come together and, and actually uh, work for something useful on the bench. So we're going to give an update on where we're going for this project, which is the in the form of a very uh, simplistic, low performance, but still a very cool SDR receiver, coupling the PSOC chip with the uh, soft rocks that many of us have, um, and seeing what we can do with that. 
for a, kind of like a no PC required kind of SDR. We don't need no stinking PCs here. And um, lastly, or sort of lastly, then we're going to really give a brief update on um, the, the longer running project that we've had, which is the Arduino clock controller. Uh, some um, background background development has been going on, and I wanted to kind of share that with everybody. And again, if you've been following along with that, we can be guiding you by illustration and components. And we, we tackle uh, some of the hard stuff first and clear the way for you to actually get some of this done on your own bench with a little bit greater ease and better understanding. Then we're going to wrap up with uh, not necessarily the project. Uh, what do we normally call it, Joe, the product of the month or something? I think it's interesting product of the month or something like that. Yeah. Instead of a, an actual product per se, it's a book. And I'll tell you, you might not, uh, not everybody might have the, the interest uh, in hollow state design, you know, vintage, de uh, design of vintage tube-based um, circuits and receivers and capabilities and so on. But there are some of us who do have it here. And uh, I, I find uh, find it just very, very satisfying working working with that and actually learning. I'm, as I explained before, I missed the tube era. I came into ham radio just when uh, the solid state design was just taken off, like in the 70s, early, uh, early uh, mid-70s maybe. And so everything in the published designs from then on was, you know, focusing on the on the new transistors and the solid state designs. And, and that's kind of like where I hopped on the bandwagon. It just kept on it ever since, right up to today with DSPs and, and all that. But uh, over the recent years, I've really become enamored and loving of the older vintage technologies with the boat anchors and uh, the tube designs. It makes uh, Joe shiver in his timbers um, to think about the high voltages and all of the, the nasty effects of heat and parasitic oscillations and such that tubes have um, inherently. Um, but I find in going back and discovering, quote unquote, discovering some of those design principles and techniques for building such radios is just like it's an entire new door. If you're thinking about an adventure game, you know how you kind of travel along and maybe open up a door and discover new tools and new world that you can explore. That's the way it is with me. So this new book that we've uh, we found, Hollow State Design, and we'll get into it more, but we'd like to review that with you because it is an excellent, excellent resource. So I can't speak more highly of that. And it's produced by, um, it's, I'm not sure who publishes it, but it's uh, distributed by Electric Radio. Ray Osterwald, uh, the editor for Electric Radio, another great, great resource for uh, vintage design radios. Okay, Joe, let, let's kind of get into this. Uh, PSAC, why, why don't you tell me what you know about PSAC controllers? And just as a hint, of course, uh, Joe and I, were we kind of got our hands into that a little, not, not too long ago, but it seemed like ages ago at a little design seminar or something. Joe, tell us a little bit about that. Sure, yeah. It was, uh, it was a thing put on by um, one of the distributors down there in the D.C. area, and it was a hands-on thing where you paid X amount. I don't even remember what it was, but there's a full day of instruction, and you got a uh, you got a PSOC um, uh, uh, trainer of sorts, which was a bigger brother to the uh, the mini uh, PSOC thing or PSOC mini that or free sock actually that we're talking about here. Um, it was professional, a lot of software involved, and uh, many of the folks there were seasoned design professionals with a variety of backgrounds. Uh, the, uh, it was good in that um, it was a good full-day professional presentation with um, lots of uh, background information on uh, what the uh, PSOCs are 
programmable systems on a chip, the basis for them, and some of the functions. I believe it was an earlier version of, um, it was probably the PSOC 1, or perhaps the PSOC 2 at that time, but um, good hands-on. Now we have the um, the FreeSocks, which is really what we're going to be discussing here, that came as a Kickstarter project, um, where uh, lower cost, uh, simpler for uh, experimenters to use designs have come along. They're actually smaller and, and handier as well. Um, for you to get your hands on on the, uh, the hardware, to uh, play with the uh, uh, Cypress software, the uh, integrated uh, development environment, and to actually come up with some uh, good projects. Uh, I'm very impressed by uh, what FreeSock is doing. Yes, George? Yeah, FreeSock was, uh, I don't know, an invention, if you will, of uh, John Mueller. Um, he, as much as I understand it, John is, was a grad student or at least a, in university, I think down in Texas or something. And he said, just, just what you just uh, summarized there, Joe, he says he wanted an easier way for experimenters to get their hands on the PSOC devices than it was to buy, um, actually I'm looking at it here, it's the PSOC 3 development kit is what you and I had gone and taken that seminar on. Um, now that thing's like a hundred bucks, hundred and a quarter perhaps, and uh, although very capable, it's it's just not in the realm of it doesn't facilitate easy experimentation. So what he did is he put together this uh, what he called I think he called uh, the coined it the FreeSock um, uh, development board and also then the FreeSock Mini, which uh, I, I think you're getting into. But I just wanted to put that background. Here was a case where somebody with a scathingly brilliant idea, hey, I want to provide a, an easy way for experimenters to get their hands on this chip. Because if you take a look at the chip on you know the picture of the FreeSock Mini there. The, the 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 free sock I'm sorry the uh, the P sock itself the chip itself I believe is the it's the right most or the bottom uh, most chip the one farthest away from the USB controller the other one is like an interface provides some extra control for debugging and so on so but it's that that I don't know 44 pin 100 pin whatever package that is it's almost impossible to homebrew with unless you put it onto a, a little bit of a board and that's kind of what he did there Joe. Indeed, yeah. Um, and it was, as I mentioned, uh, yet another example of the uh, Kickstarter program where people come up with good ideas. They uh, solicit uh, uh, backing money from folks to uh, to get the thing going. And then they, uh, they design and produce and distribute uh, neat little projects at a pretty low cost for uh, like-minded individuals and this this uh, free sock is as a great example now george got the um he got the full size free sock which is uh, uh you'll see a picture of it later i got the free sock mini um which i prefer that i prefer the form factor because it uh, it's sized to fit in a 40 pin uh, dip socket i actually used it on one of the plug-in breadboards but it is sized to uh, fit in the same footprint as a 40 pin chip um, which is absolutely mind-boggling. The capabilities of the thing are, are really something. Now, professionally, I have not designed, but I have um, I've, I've, uh, participated in some of the uh, background design info for using um, programmed logic arrays, which, um, which were the precursor to this sort of thing, where there were these uh, arrays of gates that could be configured with uh, special software. I think it's called VHDL software. Uh, very high design language, high-level design language. Um, that was quite a bit. It was quite involved in doing that. It took a lot of training, a lot of time to do it. But the um, the the P socks are much much more versatile, much easier for uh, average human beings to use, and uh, they're getting extremely powerful these days. Um, as you can see, if you look on the whiteboard, they have an ARM processor 
processor on there, which is a, a advanced risk machine processor. It's absolutely a fantastic, very powerful processor on there. Um, in a, and that's the, the main controller on there. In addition, it has um, analog functions. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole list of them, but they're A to D converters, they're D to A converters, they're comparators, um, the comparators, they're uh, op amp, uh, rail to rail op amps, very good op amps, and uh, a bunch of other functions, uh, which we'll go into in a little more depth. The idea is it's a whole bunch of things on there uh, in, in the analog, the digital, and the software world, all on one chip that you can pretty easily configure to do any number of things um, using the integrated design environment. Uh, very, very powerful and uh, relatively easy to learn. Uh, some great stuff in there. One of the things I didn't mention that actually turns me on quite a bit uh, on some of the I.O. pins, they have capacitive sensing. This can be used with touchpads, um, not quite like you do on an iPad where you move your finger around a screen and, and uh, um, swipe things on, but more like a, um, an on-off switch. But it's capacitive. It senses uh, a finger on there. This could be used to automate um, uh, touch buttons, push buttons, without actual switches. You just have a, actually an insulated metallic plate that you put your finger near, and you can turn it on and off. Some years ago, uh, I worked for the Pulsar Watch Company. We went through a lot of lot of work trying to develop a uh, touch sensor for a wristwatch, uh, and it was a big deal. Nowadays, uh, it's being put in all sorts of things, and it's even included as one of the functions on this chip. It really turns me on as a, a handy facilitator in there, uh, in addition to all the other uh, all the other goodies. George, uh, why don't you pick, pick it up and carry on? Yeah, thanks, Joe. And that was uh, a nice high-level overview. And I just want to underscore, I think, the main point that you had is that all this stuff, and I'm going to enumerate or at least show you on a whiteboard where where all this all this functionality is on the uh, on the FreeSock um, and and with the PSOC in general. Um, but all of this is together on one chip. Now, many of you and have either heard or have used and worked with uh, some of the modern microcontrollers, um, low-end microcontrollers, uh, the PIC series um, of microcontrollers. And microchip makes a whole bunch of different kinds. And But generally, every one of those PICs have, uh, oh, they have counters and timers and interrupt controllers and parallel ports and serial ports and CAN controllers and all, all different kinds of things. And in, in, in those chips, <clears throat> you also have the ability to control and, and utilize the different functions that are available in there. Well, carrying that same um, concept forward, but also adding analog is, I think, one of the big things that the system on a chip uh, brings to the table. So the programmable system on a chip, the PSOC, is amazing in regards to the kind of things that we as experimenters and designers um, have interest in doing. Uh, if you take a pick, chances are nine times out of ten, uh, taking a digital, what, I, what we'll call a digital pick, at best it'll have an analog to digital converter. It'll have some analog type of uh, components there, but you'll probably need some other stuff, whether it's an external amplifier uh, to boost signal, uh, an external phase lock loop to kind of um, help you stabilize the frequency and, and uh, maybe some type of a voltage reference and all these extra things that you have to add around a circuit of a uh, conventional digital um, programmable type of uh, pick. Well, with the system on a chip, the programmable system on a chip, the PSOC, what you have is a lot of those analog components already right there on, on the chip. Now, it's almost hard to imagine, but uh, having all of those components around 
and the ability, and this is important, and the ability to program where each of those inputs and outputs uh, not only connect to each other, but how they connect to the outside world. If you dial down on the whiteboard to the uh, a picture of the uh, the 40 pin device, the, it's entitled the uh, FreeSock Mini, and it has uh, cyan and magenta and blue kind of uh, colors around its pins. Each of those pins has an ability uh, to handle the different kinds of signals on them. You see a predominant number of cyan, uh, the kind of bluish um, colors on, on many of the pins. As it's indicated in the color code there, those are general purpose I.O. pins, either for analog or digital, including an SPI controller, some of your digital communications, SPI, I2C, pulse width modulation. In other words, if you want a pulse width modulation um, pin, as we did in the LED dimmer project, we'll get down to that, what we did was we we programmed it, and I'll show you how simple, falling off a log simple that was to indicate where that PWM signal was to go out. And it was to go out just in the in the lower left-hand corner of that, uh, pin number, oh, actually, uh, it's it's just above the extal in, the crystal in uh, signal in the lower left-hand corner. It's port 3.7, I think it is. I can't hear, it's hard for me to see it there. But that's where we programmed the PWM signal to go out. And that, as you know from the schematic, if you've looked ahead, that's where the, the LED and its resistor are connected uh, from that pin to ground. So what the PWM signal is doing is modulating at a certain um, duty ratio and thus giving a certain amount of energy to the LED, making it go brighter or dimmer, depending on uh, where the wiper of the pot, which is connected in the upper right-hand corner. But my point is, is that you as a designer have the ability to command um, and assign what pins that PWM, that pulse width modulation signal goes to, or any of the different analog components in there. There's a huge internal uh, matrix, switching matrix, that allows for interconnection of any of the inputs and outputs to uh, any of the I.O. pins themselves um, or to other components in there in a very uh, efficient and uh, routable uh, manner. As you'll see, if you get into actually doing it yourself, you see when you compile a project, you know, there's um, you see some interesting dialogue that happens at the bottom of the creator screen. It actually says that you know pins have been reassigned and rerouted over to here, unused functionality was dropped and whatever. So the compiler kind of optimizes all the different components routing on that chip to make it be as simple as you want and you know as you've described it to be. I get a little bit ahead of myself, but I just wanted to indicate that underscore the point that Joe had as far as like there's a boatload of good functions on there. <clears throat> and uh, just to give you an example, I wanted to give some other examples, but I just ran out of time as far as getting the whiteboard together. My next project, for example, is going to be to take an, uh, the receiver output signal, you know, from like uh, the speaker output, and pump that over into the PSOC. <clears throat> it's going to go into an A to D converter, and the A to D converter is going to convert that to digital, a, digi a stream of digital samples representing the audio coming from a radio. And that's going to be put into one of four different um, blocks that are programmed to be low-pass filters. So I'm going to have a low-pass filter block that is that wide. And I'm going to have another low-pass filter block that is a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, such that by moving my finger across a PC trace, such as what Joe is describing, for capacitive touch, I can, under with my finger, select which filter is engaged and which then the output of the filters are paralleled. And of course, the active one um, is delivering the signal to an output amplifier. Again, this is all on the chip. And then that output amplifier goes to is going to go to one of the pins 
probably, again, one of the general purpose uh, IO pins, the cyan pins. And I'm going to have a, a speaker jack, a um, you know 3.5 millimeter jack for headphones to go in, and I'll be able to listen. So with one chip, I'm going to have audio coming into it and have digital filters of varying programmable, uh, of variable width um, filtering that, and then I'll be able to plug in my headphones and hear that. So that's the kind of functionality that we can have in this kind of a chip, and it's just amazing. And then if you want to change it around, just change, uh, download a new firmware package, down, download a new program from the from your uh, from your creator, and then you've got it. What I wanted to point to, point over to you, um, since we're on the topic of all the different components on there, and then then Joe can pick it up again. Um, is uh, down just a little bit further. You know, Joe kind of went over uh, the high level of the, you know, the CPU, the analog uh, components with ADCs and DACs and so on. If you go down a little bit more, <clears throat> you'll see um, a little section that's called the full component selection palette as shown in the PSOC creator. Then you see three tall vertical um, windows, if you will. And um, those represent on the right-hand side of um, the, the, the PSOC creator screen, um, a big scrolling window. In fact, you can almost picture them as being stacked on top of each other. I just couldn't represent it well or capture it well all in one. But on the left-hand box, you see ADC, or analog components. So all those are the different analog components. Um, uh, the ADC, the amplifiers, and analog mux, comparators, digital to analog converter. Um, I don't even know what manual routing, uh, mixer, maybe that's almost like a, a uh, well, no, it's not an analog mux. There's the capacitive sense in there. Communications is in there, too. So there's where the I squared C module is. So supposing you wanted a project. Oh, let's just do this. Supposing I wanted to send my digital data that I explained, you know, the audio data coming from my receivers, converted to digital, and then it's filtered. But instead of, or in addition to, sending it out to the headphones after conversion to analog, um, supposing I wanted to send it digitally, like digital um uh, digital sound, I would uh, have that go into, I would drop an I squared C or probably more an I squared S high speed serial module inside the PSOC and then spit that out to a digital pin. And then that could go over to something else, much like you would have digital audio uh, going to other components in your uh, in uh, in your audio suite, some of the uh, audio components that you have. So you've got analog components and, and communications on the left. You've got digital components in the in the middle. All sorts of logic, the standard kind of buffers, uh, logic gates, and or D flip flops, knots, toggle flip flops, multiplexes, uh, multiplexers, XORs, uh, which is essential for doing some security types of uh, uh, type of work, uh, counters frequency dividers, and then in the right-hand column, you've got what I call other components. Um, this is a, this is a, a cool one. You want, supposing you want to display, uh, have a digital, dis have a, uh, an LCD display connected in your project. Well, you would pull up a standard component under the display and probably something called, um, uh, well, a character LCD, just the character LCD, the standard kind of uh, LCD that we're familiar with. And you would drop that little component onto your design window, connect up its pins, and then, of course, wire your LCD, you know, 8 or 12 uh, wires, or probably 8 wires, to your LCD. And you have, uh, you can control output to an LCD. So there's a lot of components that are available, a lot of flexibility, and a lot of capability in these, uh, these PSOC devices. Joe, you want to get into that building blocks type of thing in the next section? Uh, um, but maybe ask for questions first. Yeah, let's ask for questions first. We've gone over a lot. Who uh, who is not overly uh, dazzled and uh, has their wits about them enough to uh, ask us a question? Tell us to slow down and uh, let people uh, uh, 
grasp what's going on. Question. Go ahead. Uh, I was I lost, listened to the uh, presentation earlier from the uh, developer, the, the the young man that's doing this in Texas. At any rate, I noticed it's graphical. Now, is the script going to be script, or is it purely graphical, or is it a hybrid of both? Because it, it like the guy said, it, it described it as being uh, Lego building blocks, and you just put the blocks or the graphical symbols right next to each other, and they automatically connect. And is that going to be the script that's underlining in there somewhere? Over. Well, it's a it's a multi-stepsis. Um, after defining the blocks, you know, uh, putting the blocks together, and uh, this was actually the next section. But the process goes after uh, defining which blocks you want, then you have to uh, configure each block. Um, and then the final step is to um, do a little bit of software, uh, and, and you're guided pretty easily with that because uh, it comes up with the correct prompts and such. You have to fill in some of the blocks to name some of the signal names and to put some a little bit of logic in there as to what's going on. So it's a, it's a three-step process. Actually, what I'd recommend is um, uh, don't I, we may point to it. I'm not certain, but there is a uh, oh, actually we do point to it. A very good explanation of what goes on is given in um, a, um, a video example of uh, designing the uh, LED controller. Uh, the uh, uh, LED intensity controller. The guy goes through step by step and shows you each of the steps in the design process. So that you can see you start by configuring the, the modules together, then you configure the characteristics of each module, and then you finally uh, work on the uh, the C program, just filling in uh, uh, variable names and uh, and some of the interrelationships in there to do it. And and that's a good example of uh, what you have to go through in a in a simple uh, simple sense. It uh, it covers everything. It's a little wordy, but does that answer your question? Yes, it does, Joe. Thank you. Okay, any other questions? Something I can answer, please. Uh, Joe, I have a question, um, and that is, is the developer software available in the Mac platform? Yeah, I believe it. Well, I'm not sure if it works on Mac. George, do you know if it works native on Mac or if you have to have a VM on there? Oh, gosh, I, I don't know, to tell you the truth. I know it, um, we just discovered this, um, I forgot who I was talking with, uh, Al. It was with Al later, uh, earlier today that it, it doesn't even, it doesn't work on, um, it's not supported on Windows 8. So um, I'm not sure about the Mac. Okay, well, uh, I guess we'll have to see. I mean, if they're not supporting Windows 8 at this point, uh, they may not be supporting Mac. Definitely not. Go ahead, Rick. Uh, it definitely doesn't support Unix. And given that Unix and, and Mac OS are our cousins, it's probably uh, true there too. George, um, do you have a uh, virtual machine, uh, virtual machine software you'd recommend for somebody to uh, to run on a Mac to uh, to accomplish this? Um, yeah, but I'm not sure if any of it is free. Um, Frank is here. He might uh, know. I mean, we've got there are there's something called Fusion. There's something called Parallels. Um, and uh, Frank, are you here? Uh, Frank probably doesn't have his microphone. Yeah, Frank, I see your text there. Do you know of anything that is free, um, uh, free VM uh, virtual machine capability for the Mac? Virtual boxes? How about that? Okay. So Frank says that virtual box. Um, he says it likely runs on the Mac. So. Um, that would have been my recommendation um, if, if anybody wanted to run virtual machines on the PC 
In other words, to set up a development environment, put it into a VM, and then you can store it away. That's a topic for another day. But um, I think, uh, for Frank, it's it's uh, VirtualBox um, from Oracle would probably uh, would probably do that. Well, that's good to know. I, I have an application called Crossover, which does some similar things, and it's possible it might work uh, with that. But uh, I'll report back. Hey Rick, how about uh, how about you? You've played around a little bit with, uh, at least from a, just a user perspective, the PSOC three. Uh, did you get into any of the configuration issues, or was it all a canned type of operation from uh, Michael Smith and his Simple SDR project? Uh, I actually have the PSOC uh, four, which is what they call their Pioneer board, which was which was attractive to me because it was like twenty five bucks. Uh, to use their PSOC 4 uh, chip. Uh, as we pointed out when, on our own conversations, it is uh, more limited in the kinds of uh, objects that it can provide for you. Uh, I would also say that there's a fairly steep learning curve to all of this. Uh, if you, you've got to at least learn some pigeon C and the business of configuring these various components to get what you want uh, can be uh, daunting with uh, some of them. But it's uh, so I, I would uh, advise people to look at the examples and try to follow the examples before you try to go ahead and, and make something up off the top of your head and uh, actually implement it. I also had a question for you uh, because I haven't noticed it. How easy is it to package up once you've got an application running, uh, like if you've got your SDR receiver running? How easy is it to package all of that up into a single file that can be sent off to other people who would like to run it then uh, on their machine? Oh, in a in a single word, I don't know. I, I don't think it's that. too difficult. I um, some of the examples uh, on the FreeSock page talk about going off to other places to uh, to get uh, prepackaged software uh, applications that will run on some of the socks. So I think uh, I think there is a way to save it off as a file and then load that into the um, creator software and then just download that to the chip. Yeah, there you go. And I just I just flipped over to my uh, PSOC Creator program, and there indeed is an open project, um, uh, an open dialog. If you pull down open, you can select a project to open. So much like, uh, I don't know if you, Rick, have uh, done any of the MP Lab type of stuff or any project, any, any modern projects, um, uh, compilers and, and so on, oftentimes associate a project with numerous files, but it's all in a project folder or there's a project, a hierarchy of files that you can transport from one system to the other. Good question. It's, uh, it is indeed possible, it seems. I think that's important for the people who are just getting started. Uh, for instance, even if you could package up your light dimmer application and a person could just download the file, load it in, and not have to do all the typing, which, of course, invariably leads to uh, all kinds of uh, typing errors and, and that kind of thing that's always tough to debug for a, by a new person. That is a great point. And let me come back to your first point, which is kind of like what that is referring to. Um, and I'll underscore the main point here. Programming the PSOC, you know, Joe and I get excited about this kind of stuff because we really kind of get into the nitty gritty and, and enjoy doing it. Frankly, the software is not for everybody. Just like, you know, you might know about PICs and you might use PICs in your different projects and, you know, you might be able at best to download a, a hex file and program it into your PIC controller. But if it came time for you to actually program it, you know, you might not be uh, proficient in that, so you and maybe have never done it. That's probably going to be the same here with the PSOC. 
Um, there are going to be guys, again, like Joe and myself and, and, and others who, you know, are actually creating new, new different kinds of things. And then there are others that are, are using uh, the projects. And frankly, I think that whatever we produce here, let's just use the, you know, the PSOC project, the SDR receiver, as an example. You know, we're going to produce that, and what you said is definitely going to be the case. So I'll be able to put the files onto the uh, whiteboard, and anybody would be able to download it and then program their own uh, PSOC controller with it in a manner that, uh, in a very simplistic manner, without knowing anything about the software or, or whatever. Even more so, I mean, we'll probably have um, PSOCs pre-programmed that we could send uh, to somebody uh, if they just want to plug in that 40-pin uh, mini module, for example, pre-programmed with the SDR software in it. Boom, you've got it. But you would be able, you would need to build up the ancillary circuits around it. You know, wire the the audio jack in and the audio jack out, and put a little power supply. Things that you know you do know how to do. The point is, is that you don't need to do the software it, as simple as we are describing it is. It's still a daunting thing. But to your point. The way that you start with any kind of a controller project, any kind of a, a pick, any kind of a microcontroller, any any PSAC, you always steal somebody else's code to start with. You use somebody else's as a starting point, as an example, and you start modifying a little bit here, a little bit there. You add a new component. For example, um, after after doing this light dimmer project, I was glancing down the right-hand column of the of the creator, and you'll see this in, in one of those vertical windows of components that I described a moment ago. You'll see an RTC. So I said, huh, I know what an RTC is. And of course, you know, we, uh, our recent project, uh, the Arduino clock project, we added an RTC in there. And we were programming its, uh, you know, the setting the time and the date and, and all that sort of stuff. And son of a gun, if I took that little RTC module and I dropped it right into my uh, step one, it's shown in step one, drop it onto the design desktop, you know, a, a simple little block would appear there called RTC. I would double click on that and open, uh, it would open up and it would show different parameters that I would be able to set. And then you click a little, you click the, the data sheet um, button on that configuration screen and boom, it opens up and it shows all the different APIs that are available for that. So I said, huh, you know, it's, it's very analogous to the individual components that we've been doing. Nonetheless, my point is, is that you start off with a simple project, such as the light dimmer or the LED dimmer, and you add a little thing here, you add a little thing there. Other guys might really enjoy, I'm going to get this filter product, uh, the low pass filter example done probably next as I continue to learn and grow with this project and capabilities, somebody else might take that and say, huh, I, I like that. I want to I want to add some more taps to that filter. What that means is you want to make it steeper and more of a cutoff, a steeper cutoff to the filter. And you can do that with changing one number, one number in the configuration screen, and boom, you've got yourself a custom design. You're, you started making your own little custom design. So there's various ways that you can kind of bootstrap yourself in without thinking to yourself, holy cow, i got to learn the whole thing. You know, it's like a 90, actually, it's a 66-page manual, uh, the specification itself, 66 pages, I think. And, uh, no, a double, 120 pages. So um, it's, it's kind of daunting starting from scratch, but to use somebody else's is the way to go, isn't it, Joe? <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually have another thing to add to this one when you wrap it up about uh, some advanced features that do require programming. Yeah, Rick. Yeah, Rick. I wanted to, you, you sparked something when uh, you were talking there in my mind. The whole idea of APIs, I was cut off from the <clears throat> conversation here by a, a local glitch, so I don't know whether you mentioned it in any link, but the ability of it to write its own set of APIs for whatever, however you define a component, it will then write a set of APIs to uh, 
allow you to control that without having to write uh, C code to make it happen. Uh, I don't know how many various controllers and so forth you say, well, if you want to enable this in your analog digital components, well, then you have to go to register number, you know, 3G56 in the bit 5 and set that on. And here, it's just a matter of call convert or something nice and simple like that to put in your code, and you've got it done. Yeah, you are right. To uh, to a certain extent, they do have code that is somewhat self uh, self defining, if you will, or self specifying, self enumerating, based on the kind of configuration and connections that you've done at the block diagram level on your design uh, desktop. And that, that's that's really a cool part. Um, it gives you a good guide for what to do. And then if you happen to be an experienced programmer, you can kind of go in and I'm looking at uh, step number three, which is the software screen. So you can start inserting some extra commands in there to do other things that your microcontroller might uh, want to do. For example, in there someplace, somewhere, I've heard that there is a rotary encoder module. So I said, huh, we like rotary encoder modules here on the experimenter's workbench. Uh, we use them all over the place. Um, so, you know, dropping a module like that into this loop, for example, could do some things to speed up. I won't get into details, but it could speed up the um, um, the rate at which a light dimmer, uh, an LED is uh, getting brighter or dimmer. Um, it could do a lot of different things. It can help, so it, instead of using that capacitive touch uh, with the finger control I was describing before to select one of four different LPFs, low-pass filters, we could have a rotary encoder that would be able to select among those uh, those different filters. So it's a um, there's a lot of flexibility and automatic uh, automated nature of this. At the end of the day, there's nothing like the automated processes in your brain that are going to let you do what you want to do, but a lot of these things are assisting, assisting things. This is not as easy, you know, you programming a PSOC, all things considered, is not as easy as programming a basic uh, program or a basic chip. Um, it's not as easy as doing some of the uh, um, Arduino stuff that we were talking, although it's it's pretty equivalent to the Arduino, maybe a little bit more capable, although definitely more capable, but it's on that category. I think the underscore of this whole segment of the conversation is that you don't have to, you don't have to do the programming, you don't have to understand everything that we're talking about here in order to like it and use it. What you can do is find the growing number of example programs that are on the internet all over the place. Download them to your own system. Program your own PSAC with it. It's just using the very simple, straightforward uh, steps. And you've got that capability right there. It could be some really advanced capability. And uh, you're all set. And maybe if you want to customize that advanced capability, it's a pretty straightforward thing to do once you have the basic, uh, the fundamental start to everything. Um, Joe, after the uh, after the software window... We have the, the first PSAC program, I think. That probably just illustrates everything we're talking about here about how easy it can be. Do you, I don't know how far along you are in your um, in your adventure there on your tube. Uh, do you want to start that off, and I'll, I'll pick it up? Sure, yeah. Um, as I referenced, well, George mentioned the uh, the LED thing earlier, but uh, um, this is our first PSOC program. I've successfully gone through it. I got my pre-SOC mini uh, uh, bl blinking the light and... Um, uh, controlling the intensity, but uh, there is a video um, on the, um, uh, I don't see the link here, but at any rate, there is a video available that uh, shows you exactly how to go through this process and um, all the steps involved, and it ends up with a uh, with a working, um, uh, a working uh, example uh, that uh, George has outlined here, and I'll let him go into more detail with it. All righty then, I put that uh, link for the video. So everything that we've talked about so far, 
um, is covered in that, that simple little video that is in, down in the references as uh, number four. And also I just put onto the uh, the chat window. So um, if you want to follow that, in a very that's what I did. In fact, I had that running on one computer while I was running the PSOC creator and another, such that I could stop the uh, the video at any given time, make sure that I have the right, uh, I'm doing the right things and entering exactly uh, exactly as the person did. And then uh, um, I was able to get it done successfully. But in a nutshell, what it is, and you see this in the diagram, um, you see my uh, my FreeSock Mini on the left-hand side um, with a USB cable kind of going up to the top, and that's only supplying power at this stage. That's you know that's already programmed. Uh, the the program from my PSOC creator and program was downloaded to the the FreeSock Mini, and um, it configured the device. And uh, if I just supplied five volts, for example, to the top right pin, pin 40, if you will, um, that exact same capability would be present in the in the FreeSock. So the idea is is that the potentiometer is connected in the upper right. Um, the top of the pot, it's a little hard to see because the pot didn't want to have the pot upside down, but um, the potential, the top of the pot is connected to uh, VCC, the top uh, pin 40. Uh, the wiper is connected to pin 39, um, which is, you see in my handwritten note, it's uh, port 0, bit 0, and that was configured to be a an analog input. And the ground for the pot goes kind of down, all the way down to the ground in the lower left-hand corner, pin 20, as it were. So by moving that pot clock, fully clockwise, it would move the wiper all the way up to VCC, or 5 volts. Um, moving it fully counterclockwise, turning it down in other words, it would move the wiper all the way down to ground. So it presented a 0 to 5 volt variable um, analog voltage, and that's what the FreeSock uh, A to D converter was uh, sensing. So as we commanded the, the functions to be performed in the, uh, in the main.c program, uh, we take the output of the ADD converter and we uh, use that as a variable for determine F2, and we set that, that number from the, from the wiper value, if you will, into the pulse width modulator, the PWM module, such that the uh, duty ratio or the, the value, uh, how high versus how low the pulses are being delivered to the LED are changing in accordance with the wiper's pot. The more uptime, the greater the duty ratio um, is, uh, means a brighter LED. So the pulse of the square wave that comes out of port 3.7, pin, pin 17, if you will, um, is uh, that square wave is being applied as a signal current limited by that 150 ohm resistor to the LED that's connected to ground. And the, the wider the, the positive pulse, the brighter the LED gets. As simple as that. And it's going to serve for me as a good starting point for using, uh, uh, you know, using this as a launching point. And what I did is I took a very poor quality. I didn't want it to be poor quality, but it turned out to be poor quality. Video, created a YouTube video of that just following that diagram. But it makes the point, and you'll hear my uh, my melodious voice there narrating what's going on. But uh, essentially showing you the the dimmer, uh, the LED getting dimmer or brighter based on the, the turns of the uh, of the pot. So that's the first project. I mean, it can be as simple as that for you too. And what I'll do, thank you very much, Rick, is I'll get the project files onto this website. And um, all you need to do is to get your FreeSock Mini. It's 49.50 or something, or 49.95 or something, um, from Mueller.io, uh, um, www.mueller.io. Um, 
The link is down in the references section and you can get your mini. And it might seem like a steep price, $49.95 in order to get yourself a uh, this programmable device, but it is reprogrammable and you can program it ultimately in the various experiments that we're doing leading up to the actual SDR receiver project. This is the very component, as long as I don't burn it out in the process by miswiring it or whatever, uh, that we'll be using connecting to the, uh, to the soft rocks. Um, does anybody have any questions about that? I mean, the path that we're on, starting with something simple, and at least in this uh, vein, leading up to a project that's going to be useful in a manner that Rick was kind of uh, alluding to, just uh, either download download the project files for the SDR receiver project and wire it up, you know, program your PSOC and then wire it up, or, you know, I can probably make it, I can program them and make them available um, for you guys uh, if, if you're interested at cost and, uh, you know, you can get the, the, the capability that we're leading up to here. Are there any questions about this whole process that we're following with the PSOC? Um, I hear somebody. Go ahead. Yeah, George Carl. Um, I'm uh, I, I'm uh, lost with a lot of this stuff. This is you guys are way over my head with this stuff at this point. So I'm wondering, do I really want to follow this, or you know, uh, the last segment you're going to talk about your tube book, which I also have, uh, is where I came into ham radio, not solid state. And certainly, I'm not a computer person, so um, I'm wondering how easy some of this stuff is going to be to follow. That's a great question, and, and I bet you that there are, there are a lot of guys like you or feeling the same as you, and especially listening on the podcast and saying, oh, my gosh, why am I doing all of this stuff? I should have let off with it a lot easier. I would say probably 95%, maybe 80% if we're, if we're lucky, um, uh, but a good percentage of, of everybody listening here is not going to want to or have the desire to or want to go through the learning process for learning how to program the PSAC, and that's fully understandable. However, I think what it's real the valuable nugget here is kind of what we've been going over last and, and Rick brought it to light. What I'm going to do is put a section, a new page or a subsection in this page that says uh, essentially, okay, I'm never going to program the PSAC, but how do I use the project files that are on this page in order to do this nifty project like the light, uh, the LED dimmer or the niftier project yet of the um, of these uh, SDR receiver project. So what I'll do is uh, I think that you have probably the capability and, and uh, wherewithal there computer-wise to connect a device, this mini device, to your USB port. It doesn't take any more than a USB cable to do that. And a driver that gets installed in your PC, and you might even already have it. And then um, to right now, the only way I know to do it is to load it, to have PSOC Creator loaded onto your computer, which is kind of a big thing. So what I'm going to do is search around for a simple programmer, a simple program to run that will take this project file, or in essence like a hex file, and be able to program a PSAC. Or, as I said, worst case, I'd be glad to program these things up and send it out to you guys who, uh, who are interested in doing it. So, uh, you know, you'll have a little module, a little 40-pin module that does all the things we're talking about here, and you might not give a rat's patoot about what's inside or how neat it is to be configured, but if it does what we say we're doing or that it's going to do, it's going to be a way cool capability and a pretty inexpensive way to get a, um, a reprogrammable uh, controller for making, you know, for your receiver. So I think that's the, the way that you can look at it, uh, uh, Carl, is that at the end of the day, for those who don't want to bother or don't, you know, don't, you know, want to get into any of this reprogrammability stuff, um, you'll you'll have a component, the PSOC component, that'll have the program in it, the capabilities to do certain things. Does that make sense? Okay. 
Yeah, that makes sense, George. Um, that's that's why I've joined this thing to to try and learn to keep keep myself going. So, in trying to catch up on technology, it's just uh, <laughs> going a little quicker than I I need. I hear you. I hear you. Let me give you a little bit of reassurance, though, and anybody else, too, that's listening. What Joe and I are going to be doing, we, we kind of go off in certain directions. We get caught in a really interesting groove for us. And as I've explained so many times before, what we talk about here on Chat with the Designers is stuff that we enjoy doing. Otherwise, we wouldn't really be talking about it and, and having the program. But we do understand that a lot of people are uh, not every, you know, this digital reprogrammable controller stuff even if it's mixed signal or not, isn't the cup of tea for everybody. So we're going to also hit some other interests that we have. And um, my inclusion of the hollow state design book was a little bit of a, a hint, kind of wink-wink kind of a thing as far as what at least Joe and I, at least I'm going to present to Joe, and we'll, we'll talk about how we can incorporate some of the projects in that book. Um, back to basics, call it, if you will. Basics of LC inductors and, and resonant and, you know, how to, you know, how does it work? Uh, how do you amplify? or measure low-level signals, things that, uh, that touch on other bases besides just the, uh, uh, the microcontrollers that, that we've been working with. So we like to keep a wide radar screen going all the time for the different kinds of technologies we've got. But we thought this PSOC thing was just so cool, and I'll guarantee you that we're going to have some projects coming out, whether you, you, know, you partake in it or not, it's, it's up to you. But we'll have some projects that use the capabilities in this PSOC because it is so cool and convenient. And at the end of the day, it's low cost for the functions or capabilities that are being produced. You think so, Joe? No question. Yeah. Um, I, I like a quote that uh, I've heard from uh, Chuck Adams, uh, probably not original with him, but he's, he says, uh, learning is expensive, whether it's uh, uh, money or time, learning is expensive. It's it's something uh, something you have to go through. And uh, in, in our case, sometimes the price is a little high for the general public, but we hope that uh, are presenting this just uh, keeps people up on uh, what's happening, what's uh, capable of uh, being done, and uh, we'll try to produce things that uh, can be reproduced without uh, without too much inordinate cost on your part. Yeah, Pete, go ahead. Uh, yeah, good evening. Um, this thing has ADCs on it. Now, obviously, I haven't looked into the specs on it or anything, but it's got ADCs on it. Could it be configured to be an SDR receiver all by itself? Um, yeah. Yes, it can. Um, there was a QST article, I'll reference it here, uh, that inspired me. Um, I heard his presentation. The author is Mike Smith. I don't know his call sign. Rick, you could probably find it at some point in, in your literature as well. Um, but Michael Smith designed something called the Simple SDR. Simple SDR. And it used uh, a little board that he designed. I'm, oh, I had it here on the bench. Um, using a PSOC 3. And it had a couple of extra external components, uh, but it didn't use a soft rock, and it just used uh, sampling, you know, quadrature sampling, much like a soft rock does. And it was fixed band and fixed bandwidth, and you know, it could only go so fast and so on. But it was. It was just on a board all into itself. It was a receiver board. So um, in answer to your question, yeah, it could. My approach here, I'm going with a PSOC 5. It's a more capable, faster, um, more integrated device. And I'm thinking, hoping, and I'm going to learn as we go along. But I'd like to take the concepts that Michael presented and maybe extend them a little bit further. But I'm going to start first by connecting to the to the soft rock, which is a known entity. I like to use known components over and over again because if it's working, I don't need to reinvent it. So 
the SoftRock offers uh, the multiplexer, you know, the, the sampling, um, the commutating multiplexer, the AKA the, the Talo mixer, and also some well-matched audio amplifiers that take the IQ, that amplify the IQ signals. And then, um, um, so that part doesn't need to be reproduced in, uh, in the PSOC 5. But eventually I think the PSOC 5 could do it. I just don't want to overstep. Okay, or another thing might be to uh, take a, a soft rock receiver and uh, use the PSOC for transmitter components. Yeah, uh, yep, yep, that's indeed the case. Um, other questions before we move on? Alrighty. Quick mention about the uh, the project update for the remote Arduino clock display. Not too much to say about that. That isn't uh, obvious from the picture. But you see in the picture there on the whiteboard that the uh, that happens to be the photo of the um, remote clock display unit. And if you recall, off to the side elsewhere in the shack is the base clock Arduino uh, talking wirelessly over the XB controller to this remote thing that happens to be hanging on my wall when it's not being photographed on, on the table. And that time of 16.35 was when I snapped the picture, about 4.30 this afternoon. And um, the idea that for the next step was, uh, actually it was based on what Frank had uh, showed us a while back. That little, uh, the, the LED, I'm sorry, the seven segment LED display that's shown 16.35, that's a nifty little module from uh, uh, Adafruit uh, Technologies that has uh, the display array plus um, um, an LED display driver built into it all in one. But that's as big as it got. The characters, in my opinion, and the, the digits are a little bit small. Uh, so what I wanted was a larger display. So what I found, I think at all electronics, was a larger display you see shown there. Uh, 0.8 inch um, display uh, digit height, which turned out to be pretty nice for the <clears throat> for viewing here in the shack anyways. But it did not have an integrated display driver. Now the Max 7219 chip shown on the right hand side is what... <clears throat> What Frank pointed us to, Frank N3PUU, showed us the uh, um, that chip is a takes I squared C input as delivered from the Arduino and um, uh, drives the the display. The larger it will drive the larger display. A schematic is shown on the right hand side. So that's my next step in evolving the remote controller. Pretty trivial, uh, but the idea is the goal, the end goal is in mind. And I'll just underscore this from our many discussions about this project from previous episodes of Chat with the Designers was that the goal is to have a remote display clock hanging on the wall, no connections, uh, no nothing, but time accurate, accurate time per WWV is sent to this remote um, wall display, and um, it will have uh, LEDs, 60 LEDs, 60, 60 LEDs around the, uh, the square perimeter of this little module that essentially light in some fashion that indicate the proper seconds um, that are ticking off. Kind of a cool thing to have, at least from a ham perspective, because if you are at all familiar with WWV, there are certain portions of the uh, of the uh, uh, of each minute cycle that correspond to different tones and different different uh, tests that can be performed, different signals that are sent at different times of the minute uh, for that. Joe, is that is that about right? The good description of the WWV seconds usage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, CHU is uh, similar, although they have uh, less information. Many of the uh, time signals do that. Um, you're going to have a big uh, uh, lithium-ion battery on the back of this uh, clock. No, I'm going to have uh, I'm going to have um, I think it's like uh, D cells. I'm not sure how many. It's got to be like probably four D cells. 
um, and that should mix it a thick unit, but I got to have we got to have that power uh, for the, the different components in there. The um, the XB module doesn't take that much power. Frank has uh, uh, done testing there to show that it takes micro micro amps as when it goes to sleep, pico amps actually when it goes to sleep. And uh, the Arduino, the RBBB, the uh, real basic breadboard, I think is what it's called. Uh, the RBBB version of the Arduino is uh, is a low power version, but and uh, the display probably takes the biggest amount. But if we do multiplexing and and uh, fast scan rates and so on with that, that should uh, be okay too. So I think double D's. I'm not, sorry. I think D cells will work right, Joe. Double D's. What do you have on your mind? Yeah, I come from. Remember, I worked for a Pulsar watch company. We made an LED watch, so batteries are always a topic near and dear to my heart. Okay, so any questions on the project, on the Arduino clock project? I wanted to be sure that you guys didn't think that we left that project in the wayside. There's just so many good things going on, and um, to dedicate a, a string of 10 episodes to a given project isn't reasonable. So what we like to do is to get projects going, have a good overview. If you notice the technique here, we have like an overview, a general capability, and then we focus in on a project, and we move on to a different technology and whatever. So we're spinning up different projects along the way. And again, if you've noticed the home page for, for chat with the designers, you'll see that we are accumulating projects as special hot links. So what we do is we focus, we have special pages that are dedicated for each individual project. So if there's a project that interests you, you could be following along on that project totally separate on, on its own page, as opposed to referring back to episodes number 54, 49, and 33. It gets kind of confusing that way. So we'll keep our episode pages going the same way that we always do. But we accumulate the always the latest and greatest information that we always have on a given project on the project page. So right now we've got, I think, three projects listed there. And uh, this one here, uh, PSOC, is the latest one. So if you want to be following along on it after this episode here, probably that's where you'll find that information. Um, any questions on the Arduino clock project? Hey, George, this is Terry. i got a quick question. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, um, your your notes, and you mentioned that it uh, the that little Max chip Maxim chip uses uh, uses I2C, but the um, labeling looks like it's SPI bus, which isn't a problem depending on how that X, XB is plugged in. Does the X, XB use SPI or does it use uh, the serial data? Well, actually, the XB talks to the RBBB. The it talks to the Arduino. So we don't have any connection between the XB and this Maxim, this Max chip. Um, so it's all in how the Arduino talks to the Max chip. And as you know, we can have it be anything that we want. I th um, many times, serial communications devices have both I squared C and what's the other one, Terry? SPI bus. Yeah, okay. If it has um if it has both I2C and SPI, that's fine. It's just that the uh diagram down below showed SPI signals and I and you really it's hard time you have a hard time with an Arduino sharing the SPI bus between different devices and that's kind of where I was going. Oh, I see. I see your your comment then. <clears throat> right, right now, the um, the Arduino talks I squared C to that uh, Adafruit device that, that has the lighted up uh, green digits. So we definitely need I squared C because I intend to have it just be a direct replacement. And the, the I don't have I don't show the data sheet, but if you did a quick lookup on Max seventy two nineteen. You, you would see that it's billed as an I squared C device. I didn't notice. I, I probably pulled the, the wrong application of it. So it probably has both capabilities, I squared C and SPI. Good catch. All right. Other questions before we move on to the final review, the book review? Yes, sir, Carl. 
Yeah, just a thought, George, on something I've been thinking about. Um, we use all these terms, I squared C, SPI. How about a segment on one of the shows, for those of us who don't understand all of this terminology, to uh, be able to uh, catch up on it? Great suggestion. What do you think on that, Joe? That's very good. Yeah, yeah, and we ought to have a, a running glossary of terms with uh, links to uh, web references for each term, too, because the alphabet soup really, really does get confusing. That would be cool. We could have a session that's dedicated to that, not just entirely to I squared C, although we could. But um, I call it the uh, the alphabet soup communications protocol, the alphabet soup of of modern technology, the alphabet soup of experimenters and uh, devices or something. I like that. That that has a lot of potential. Uh, thank you, Carl. Okay, so let's move along. Let's finish her up here in the next uh, five minutes or so. It won't take long. Um, I cannot come up with enough. Uh, um, superlatives as far as how well how much i like this book i was tickled pink after uh, <laughs> there's a great superlative i was tickled pink as far as uh, when i first got the book and to learn that it was much more than what i thought it was and i think in a nutshell carl you could help me along with this on too in a moment um being another owner of it um is that one of the, the, the first of all you'll see you'll see the the, the term thermotrons the um, the author grayson evans KJ7UM, uh, along with, I think that's his U.S.-based call. There's another one. Um, he uh, he says, tubes are these uh, these things that toilet paper and is wrapped around. That's a tube. Valves are these things that have round controls on that allow water to flow through them. But uh, these things, these glass envelopes, vacuums inside and so on, those are called thermotrons because that was the first name that, uh, actually, I, I probably have it wrong, but nonetheless, that's one of the first names that the thing actually went by. And he's he uses that term throughout uh, the book. So this is everything about selecting the thermotron and thermotron testers, a.k.a. tube testers, thermotron power supplies, tube power supplies, you get it. Um, but this book was so much more than what I thought it was because this is a book about experimenting and home brewing and understanding what you've what, what you're what you're working with. So here's the deal. Um, unless you go way back in the literature, and even when you do go way back in like the 60s, uh, QST and I, I, many of us have good compendiums of, of old projects and you know older QSTs and radio, radio RCA radio manuals and some really good circuits and whatnot. And, and circuits abound on the internet for tubes and regen receivers that use tubes and everything. But for the most part, they just sort of say, this is the tube, this is the amplifier, and then it takes the signal on the grid and, and uses it to uh, control the amplification of the tube or whatever. Um, and that's it. Maybe at best it gets into some components and the, the, the purpose that it serves, but it doesn't tell you how to design. Most of the most of the uh, the books were designing electronics. At least I haven't come across them. Maybe I have to dig up old. Well, the author says even that old uh, AWRL manuals back from those days didn't really get into this. Uh, the specific design, they would take a general purpose amplifier and describe it, but they wouldn't take a practical application. And that's what this book does. I can go through, um, this chapter nine, designing with pentodes. Typical examples, a um, an audio frequency RC coupled amplifier, cathode biasing, testing the circuit, uh, making a 455 kilohertz IF broadband amplifier, um, there's a section on designing with triodes. Um, even it talks about spicing it, you know, making making spice models. We're using modern technology to model the older stuff. Um, RC amplifier tables. 
goes through actual what the design process is and much of kind of like what we do here and chat with the designers when we go through uh, designs and so on. And I think some of the favorite uh, prod, uh, programs that we have from listener feedback is uh, Analyze This. It's the Analyze This series of projects, of episodes that we have, where we do just that. We go through and we figure out um, what it was the designer had in mind and, and why it was why he chose this component, how you actually can uh, determine the gain of this stage or not, and, and so on. But it's that equivalent in the tube book, you know, Hollow State Design. Carl, what's your, what's your opinion on the book? I enjoy the book very much, George. Um, it goes better, it goes into more detail, and as you said, a lot of the stuff... I mean, I've been playing with ham radio since the 50s and uh, when it was all tubes. But, you know, it breaks down the construction of the different tubes, uh, stuff that uh, kind of got glossed over even in those days. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I find it very interesting. Uh, it's a great learning tool whether you're going to build anything with tubes or not. Um, the, the book is, is a gold mine of information. Uh, it shows you where we've come from and uh, it's well worth to read, absolutely. Oh, good. By any chance, has anybody else uh, got the book or heard about it? Okay. If any of the listeners in the podcast uh, um, have uh, have the book, I would enjoy hearing from them and things that you like and, and uh, uh, in specific. One, a factoid that, uh, that was most encouraging to me is, uh, and again, I probably won't state it right, but he says that there's a book, oh yeah, there's a chapter in here called Myths, Myths, Common mis Misconceptions. <coughs> and uh, a common myth is that Tubes are a dying, a dying breed. My voice is going a little bit here. Sorry. <clears throat> but tubes are not as proliferate and, and plentiful as they were in the past. He says, that's totally bogus. There are more tubes around <clears throat> than we will ever use. So from the, <clears throat> from the Joe takeover. <clears throat> yeah, George is getting all choked up. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Tubes uh, Tubes are a great subject. I, I was fortunate in that I got into ham radio as uh, tubes were still king. And uh, my first couple of rigs were tubes, basically um, tube rigs. That is basically war surplus and some homebrew stuff. Uh, there, there were some design things around. George mentioned a lack of um, good design books. I was lucky enough uh, in tech school to um, uh, be taught tubes as well as semiconductors um, back in the uh, the early 60s, and um, uh, we used Terman's Radio Engineering which had a, an extremely good description of the, the theory of, of uh, vacuum tubes, how they worked, how to design, uh, at least in engineer's terms, some uh, basic circuits. And, and it, was, it was so intuitive that uh, almost anyone could have grasped it, much, much more intuitive than the, uh, the solid state world. Another good reference that I would recommend for anyone uh, who's serious about tubes is the Radiotron Designer's Handbook. Uh, that is available, I believe, electronically. I've seen it bootlegged, but I think there may be some um, some good um, good copies, uh, public domain copies, since the copyright has uh, passed, uh, available on the web. That's another thing that's uh, good and serious, has lots and lots of information on it. I believe um, it may have been produced by RCA, but it's yet another good reference. I have yet to see this solid state design, but even though I'm kind of uh, biased towards uh, transistors, it sounds like a good enough book that uh, I would certainly glean something from it. Um, George, have you uh, regained your voice? I think so, Joe, but it, it might go at any moment. I, I'm on pain medication for my back. I've got big-time back problems, and uh, sometimes it leaves me really dry, and if I overuse my voice, sorry about that, folks. Okay, so um, any uh, any wrap-up questions here for, for this evening, and um, any, uh, any other uh, comments? Yeah, Rick. 
I just uh, noticed uh, in a blog that I read uh, today that uh, someone purchased the right to the Western Electric name and now has opened a, a factory which will be uh, manufacturing a, a limited uh, range of Western Electric tubes uh, for super high-end audio applications. Ooh, outstanding. That's, that's great. There are a lot of audiophiles who prefer tubes. Um, I do, but not for the sake of necessarily better quality. It just is that it is tubes. Other people really can tell the difference. It's a big disputed area. And in fact, again, that's, that's an area that uh, um, the author of Hollow State Design covers, uh, mentions along the way. He says he's one of those. He prefers it, and he can't explain it, and the physics aren't there, but he can tell the difference between two amplifiers. One is solid state, and the other one is uh, tubes. But that's good to hear as far as uh, um, Western, Western Electric, is, did you say? Uh, yes. Uh, of course, the Western Electric name disappeared when uh, Ma Bell was broken up into the Baby Bells, and uh, Western Electric fell by the wayside. Uh, but apparently they just purchased, purchased the rights not only to the name, but also apparently to uh, their tube product. Very cool. Very cool. Any other questions, uh, comments for the, the show here? Alrighty. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, the presentation, at least being exposed to programmable uh, systems on a chip, the PSOC, a lot of capability. You are going to see it going forward. If you want to dabble in it, we'll provide the ways for you to do that. Joe, do you want to kind of wrap us up and take us home? Certainly, George. Yeah, it has been a uh, <laughs> it's been an eclectic uh, evening here. We uh, provided uh, an overview of um, uh, PSOC, programmable systems on a chip, and uh, one particular implementation of them that has. Uh, some uh, value, some benefit for uh, home experimenters, the uh, FreeSock, which, um, which has come along and uh, makes it easier to, uh, to get involved with the PSOCs to uh, design things with them. There are some good examples out there and a, uh, a free uh, uh, design software that comes from Cypress. We've given just a little overview of some of the capabilities, uh, just barely scratched the surface, uh, showed an example of uh, a very, uh, very simple low world sort of example of um, how to program a, um, one of the uh, FreeSock uh, devices to uh, control a, uh, the intensity, the uh, light out of an LED with a tensiometer. Kind of a uh, get your feet wet and see just what's involved thing. Uh, it's going to evolve into a um, project that uh, we'll be working up here where we'll be using this um, uh, FreeSock as the uh, back end of a, uh, uh, an SDR, software-defined radio, uh, using one of the, uh, either the, uh, the Ensemble or the uh, uh, SoftRock. Uh, soft rock radio to do the uh, the actual processing of the audio from that and um, uh, providing a uh, an output uh, to a loudspeaker and to some sort of uh, uh, LCD display so that uh, indeed you can you can have a, a simple SDR without having to lug along a, a computer and uh, it's it's uh, educational as well as being uh, useful in uh, in a good application of the uh, PSOC. We'll likely have some other things in the future as well. Uh, we wrapped up uh, by just giving a status report on um, the uh, Arduino clock that we've been uh, discussing in the past, uh, where it is and uh, how it's coming along and what the what the final outcome will be. And then uh, George gave a review of uh, hollow state design, going back to some um, original electronics technology, the Thermotron, which is a very good book, um, very comprehensive book in uh, tube theory, and um, also allied to um, the homebrewer, the experimenter, so that we can uh, we can uh, uh, 
um, we can all learn from that. And just as an example to um, Eamon, who asked about the simple SDR receiver, yes, we are familiar with it, and uh, George referenced it earlier in the program, that uh, he's going to get some ideas from that and try to do some of the same things, although the uh, the PSOC 4 we're using here, or PSOC 5 is uh, is more capable. So that's about it for this evening. Um, we'll see you in two weeks, and I uh, hope you all enjoyed this. We'll, uh, we'll all have our voice in fine form, and uh, we'll have more more for you to um, to enjoy on uh, Chat with the Designers. Good evening. Thank you, Joe, and good evening to everybody. Thanks for attending. Don't go away.